Well, good morning again, St. Paul's. Good to see everyone. So as Keith said, if you were here last week, you know that we started a series on our values here at St. Paul's. Maybe you've been here for a while and you don't even realize that we actually have these seven values. If you go to our website, you can see them listed there. If you've been to a membership class recently, hope you, hopefully you remember that we talked about them a little bit. And uh, we figured that since we're in a new location, starting fresh in some ways, that now would be a good opportunity to go over these values together. Because values are really important. Values are like compasses that direct us and, uh, you know, kind of determine the trajectory of our lives, our church, you know, whatever, we're, what our values are, are the compasses that guide us. And so we thought that uh, this new season would be a good opportunity to go over those values and sort of realign ourselves. So last week we talked about stewardship, and this week we are going to talk about prayer. Um, we as a community here at St. Paul's, we value prayer, or at least we believe that we should value prayer. And what prayer is, if I was to describe it as simply as I possibly can, um, prayer is talking to God. And I want us to recognize that when we say that we value God, we're saying, we're making a distinction. We're say, or, I'm sorry, when we say that we value prayer, we're saying that we value not just talking about God, but that we value talking to God. And I want us to recognize that there really is a big difference between those two things. You could spend your life uh, becoming a theologian, and you could be held in very high esteem. You could write books about the Bible that are longer than the Bible. Um, but you could do all that and never really spend much time at all talking to God. You could spend all your time talking about God, be regarded very highly for that, um, but never actually talk to God. And that would be very tragic, because if there's one thing that's clear throughout the scriptures, it's that talking to God, prayer is supposed to be a critical component of our walk with him. Um, in fact, it's taken for granted so much throughout the scriptures that it seems to me fruitless or pointless to try and start pointing out scriptures, because I don't even know where to start. There's just so many of them. Um, so I'm not going to do that, and I doubt most of you need to be convinced that prayer is something that we're supposed to value. Um, but if we do need any evidence at all, this is just the, the one point I want to make. Jesus prayed, right? Um, when we look at the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we see over and over again that he prayed. One article I found said that the gospels refer to Jesus praying at least 38 times. And what I find especially interesting is that there are multiple times where Jesus prayed alone. Uh, times where he just went off by himself to pray. And I found a couple examples of this. Uh, Matthew 14, 23 says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And the reason these examples stand out to me is because they show us that Jesus valued alone time with God the Father. 
You know, for him, prayer wasn't just a way of ministering to other people. It wasn't just a way of being an example to other people of what we should do. It was something that he seemed to need to do for himself, right? Not just for others, but for himself. And so if Jesus, who is God incarnate, needed to pray, you know, needed to spend alone time with God, then surely we must need to, right? If Jesus couldn't get by without it, why should we be able to? Now, as an aside, I want to acknowledge that Jesus praying to God is a little confusing, isn't it? Uh, because we teach that Jesus is God. And yet Jesus is praying to God. So how does that work? Well, I want to acknowledge that there is a mystery there that is very difficult to comprehend. And I'm not going to be able to, to solve it. Uh, in a, in a very simple way this morning. But what I want us to realize is that the church has taught uh, for centuries that God is a relationship of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of these persons have existed eternally. There was never a time where one existed and the other did not. Um, they are an eternal relationship of uh, equal persons, which we call the Trinity. And um, what the, the concept of the Trinity says is that each one of the persons is fully, in essence, God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. And yet, there is still a distinction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because there's a relationship between the three of them. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. And I realize it's very difficult for us to wrap our minds around that, but we're talking about God here. And it would seem to me that if we, as um, fallible human beings, are trying to comprehend the self-sufficient first cause and sustainer of the universe, that we would sometimes run into some difficulty doing that, right? Um, but if we, if we hold to this view of God, this understanding, which I believe the Bible teaches, the concept of the Trinity, then when Jesus is praying, it's not just for show, right? It's not just an act, because God the Son is distinct from God the Father. So when Jesus prays, he is legitimately praying to God the Father, and that is an expression of a relationship, that relationship of the Trinity that has existed since before the world was made. But anyway, the main point I want us to see is that Jesus valued prayer, and he valued it enough to do it when no one was looking. So that's how you really know if you value prayer, right? If you only pray when there are other people around, there's always a chance that you're motivated by some sort of desire to impress those people or look spiritual or just fit in with those around you, right? But if you pray alone, that's a sign that you really do value prayer. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus, God in the flesh, valued prayer enough to do it even when he was alone. And even on occasion all night long. So clearly, if we're following Jesus, we also should be valuing prayer. But do we value prayer? Is prayer just something that we say we value? Or is it something that we legitimately do value? Well, obviously, the only person that can answer that question is you, because you're the only one who really knows how you spend your time, what you do when nobody's looking. I don't know. Um, and I bet that there are some of you here who talk to God a lot, 
and who talked to God way more than any of us could ever know. But I'm sure there's other, others of us here who fall into the category of people who claim to value prayer, but we don't actually do it very much, if at all. And if that's you, I want to say that I empathize. I get it. I do, because in my own life, prayer has actually never come easy for me. Um, I'm the kind of person who has to be disciplined about praying if it's actually going to happen. And I'm not saying I don't enjoy prayer, especially uh, over the last few years. I've really learned to appreciate spending time with God, and I've, I've learned um, just how much of a blessing prayer can be. Uh, but what I'm saying is, throughout my life, prayer has never been something I've been naturally inclined to do with my time. Now, one of the things I am inclined to do with my time is to go for long walks and listen to podcasts. And often they're podcasts that are talking about God. They're podcasts about scripture and theology. I don't have to be disciplined to do that. I just love to do that. But what does take discipline is for me to take the earbuds out eventually and just say, okay, now I'm going to talk to God. And maybe for you, it would be the reverse. Maybe you'd be like, I don't want to listen to people talk about God. I'd much rather go for a walk and talk to God. But I know that for me, it was, it's always been more of a discipline to talk to God. And I realize that there are probably others here who, for you, it's the same way. And so this morning, I want to speak primarily to those of us who fall into that category. Uh, to those of us who are not naturally inclined to pray. And specifically, I want to speak to those of us who have allowed that natural inclination kind of to take over. Um, those of us who have not disciplined ourselves to pray even when no one is looking. Maybe we pray when we're at church or pray when we're in a group, but we just never really bring ourselves to pray when we're alone. And, and I want to ask, I want us to ask ourselves the question, why don't I pray? And as I reflected on why some of us fall into this trap of not praying, I could think of at least three reasons or excuses that we give, three possible excuses. And what I want to do this morning is look at each of those excuses and recognize why they really don't work. So the first excuse is, I'm just too busy to pray. I'm just too busy to pray. Now, I think it's very easy for us to convince ourselves that this is true. And I don't want to be insensitive, but I think that it's really not a very good excuse. And uh, now, I recognize a lot of us are very busy. Probably most of us are very busy. And, you know, I'm not trying to be um, insensitive about that. But I think one of the things we need to realize is that we really don't need a lot of time in order to have meaningful prayer. And the reason I say that is because I think that's what Jesus said. Jesus taught on prayer in uh, Matthew chapter 6. And at one point during that teaching, he said, When you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So during Jesus' day, there were people who thought that if you just sort of repeated the same phrase over and over again, if you just made the same request enough times, uh, that somehow, at that, if you did it enough times, God or the gods would be worn down, 
and they would finally grant you that request. And I think there are some of us who think the same way now. You know, we assume that, you know, if we can't pray for a long time, then our prayers just aren't going to be very powerful. We think that, well, if I spend three hours making this same request over and over and over and over again, then it's actually going to move God. Then God will actually act. But the problem with that way of thinking is it assumes that the power of prayer is mostly rooted in us, not in the one that we're praying to, right? And that's why Jesus, Jesus doesn't want us to get in that frame of mind. That's why he reminds the disciples, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is saying, you can repeat your request for five hours straight, but that's not going to make a difference because God already knew what you were asking for or what you needed before you asked. You need to recognize that the power is rooted in God, not in yourself. You know, God's not suddenly going to become aware of what you need if you repeat that thing a million times instead of 999,999 times. And so we shouldn't fall into this trap of thinking that we need all this hours of free time in order to have a meaningful prayer life. You know, we don't. We don't need to babble on in order to have significant prayer. And so when we recognize this, I think we can start to realize that this busy excuse doesn't really work. Because we absolutely can have, if we make it a priority, say 20 minutes of focused prayer time during a day. Um, you know, say 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. It's not a lot of time. But if you're focused, that's significant, that's meaningful. Um, you know, maybe it means getting up 10 minutes earlier. Maybe it means sacrificing 10 minutes of TV time or reading time right before bed. But when you think of how much you, you stand to gain just in that little bit of time, you know, it's really not much of a sacrifice at all. I mean, 10 minutes of time really isn't going to make, make or break your, uh, your, evenings, your night's sleep. Um, and of course, there's other ways that we can work prayer into our lives, even if we're super busy. Most of us have a commute to make every day, right? That commute is probably around 20 minutes. Um, you know, I, when I drive, I often like to listen to podcasts or listen to the radio, listen to music. Um, but I recognize that I don't have to do those things. And sometimes I make the decision to say I'm going to drive in silence and instead I'm going to talk to God. This is an opportunity to pray. And so, you know, if you have a hard time waking up 10 minutes earlier, well, don't wake up 10 minutes earlier. But once you get into the car to drive, make it a point to say, I'm going to spend this time talking to the Lord. Start, start my day off well. So I am confident that even the busiest among us can find enough time available in the day to pray a meaningful amount. You, you might have trouble having these hour-long, two-hour-long, three-hour-long prayer sessions, but there is enough time available to pray meaningfully because we don't need to babble on. So the second excuse that we often make and I think this is an excuse that's more common for those of us who might be newer to the faith. Um, people who have been Christians longer might still use it, but it's, I just feel like I don't know how to pray. I'm just not good at it. I don't know how to pray. Now, if this is your concern, I want to reassure you a little bit that the disciples also weren't sure how to pray. Uh, in Luke 11, it tells us that they went to Jesus, um, 
how the scene plays out. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. In other words, the disciples observed that Jesus prayed, that he prayed a lot, and they probably noticed that there was something about his prayer life that was special and was different from what they were used to. And they were attracted to that, and they were like, Lord, teach us how to pray. We don't, in other words, we don't really understand how to do this as well as you're doing it. So help us out here. And then Jesus gives them an example of a good way to pray. And the example he gives is what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and honestly, we could have a whole sermon series just on that prayer alone because it's packed with, with rich meaning. Uh, but what I really want us to notice this morning is just the way that it starts. You know, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father. Now, what I want us to recognize, if we're thinking, I just don't know how to pray, get yourself in the mindset of, I am communicating with my Father. Now, I realize that some of us may not have positive associations with the word Father. For some of us, our fathers may have been absent, uh, or they may have been negative influence. But God is a good father. And when you have a good father, a father who loves you unconditionally, and who wants to be in relationship with you, you don't worry a lot when you go to talk to your father about, am I saying things just the right way? You just talk to him, right? Right? What's the right way to talk to a good father? I would say, yeah, you should do it with respect. There should be some respect there. But there's freedom when you talk to a good father, right? Really, I think the only rule should be you've got to be honest with a good father, especially a good father that already knows more about you than you know about yourself. It's not really much value in not being honest to a father who's like that. The only wrong way to do it is to pretend, you know, to be something that you're not. And I think when we realize this, it's this very freeing thing. You know, one of the things that really helps us to appreciate prayer and see it uh, as a privilege rather than as a duty is to recognize it's an opportunity to be completely honest. You know, most of the time as we go throughout our day, we don't really feel the freedom to be completely honest. This is probably a good thing. Like, all of us, to a certain extent, hold back, right? We don't always let everybody know what we're thinking and feeling, and that's okay. But all of us need opportunities where we can fully express what we're thinking and feeling. And prayer is supposed to be a place where we go and do that. Because we have confidence that the Lord, number one, already knows what we're thinking and feeling, and number two, that he loves us, um, and uh, he, will, he will accept us even if we say things that are um, difficult. You know, one of the things that professional counselors know is that it is therapeutic for a person to freely express and be honest about what's going on inside of them. Um, and so when we practice regular prayer, where we recognize God as our good father who wants us to be real with him, that can be very therapeutic in our lives. And I'm not saying that 
you know, prayer should replace professional counseling. There's a role for professional counseling in our lives. But um, I think that if we do practice regular prayer, we may find ourselves in a position where, um, you know, professional counseling might not be as needed as quickly, you know, if prayer is a regular part of our lives where we're opening up to the Lord. Um, that can be very therapeutic. So if you feel like you don't know how to pray, start by saying, just be honest, God or Heavenly Father, Lord, whatever feels right, right to you, I feel like I don't know how to pray, but I'm going to start by telling you what's on my mind. That's a good way to start. And if you haven't yet, I encourage you to just, to just discover the freedom and the joy in pouring out your heart to God. You know, whether it's pouring out expressions of joy or sadness or anger or doubt, whatever it is, prayer is a safe place to get real. So just be honest before your father. The last excuse that I want to talk about for not praying is I feel like prayer doesn't make a difference. And this is the one that I think takes the most time to address. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one. But I feel like prayer doesn't make a difference. And I want, to, I want us to start by recognizing something, which is that this excuse for not praying is really an, an excuse for not making what's called petitionary prayers. Um, petitionary prayers are the kind of prayers where you ask God for something. And although petitionary prayer is an important kind of prayer, it's really not the only kind of prayer. Right? We just finished talking about the kind of prayer where you pour your heart out before God. And that kind of prayer can include petitions, but it doesn't always. So this excuse isn't really a reason not to make those kinds of prayers. But when it comes to the subject of petitionary prayer, of coming before God and asking him for things, this is one of the excuses that can definitely keep us from, from praying. We feel like it just doesn't make a difference. And maybe we don't admit that out loud that we feel that way. Um, but if we have a tendency not to bring our requests before God, there's a good chance that somewhere deep down that this is why, because we feel like our prayers aren't going to make a difference. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons why we might feel like bringing our requests before God aren't going to make a difference. And uh, one reason has to do with theology, and the other reason has to do with experience. So I want to talk by by talking. I want to start by talking about the theological reason. The theological reason for not thinking that our prayers are going to make a difference goes something like this: God already knows what's going to happen in the future. So if God already knows and the future is all set, then why should I even bother to pray? What's the point? Now, if this way of thinking is keeping you from praying, I would encourage you to meditate on a story in the Old Testament that you might find very confusing. And that's okay. Sometimes we read the Bible and it makes us feel very confused, and sometimes that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> it's from the book of Isaiah, and it's about a king named Hezekiah. And it uh, starts in chapter 38, Isaiah 38. And it's not a very long story, but I'm going to read this. Um, I think it's uh, a very, very valuable story for any of us who are struggling in this way with prayer. It says, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. 
Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've, I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. Okay. So let's think about this for a moment here. Hezekiah is told by a prophet that the Lord has said that he's going to die. That he's not going to recover. That's very clear. And then Hezekiah prays. And then the same prophet comes back and says, actually... The Lord says, you are going to recover. You have 15 years added to your life. So what happened here? <laughs> you know, it raises some very difficult questions. You know, did God change his mind? Did, uh, did the Isaiah prophesy incorrectly in the beginning? Well, I don't think we want to say that, right? Because this is in the book of Isaiah. <laughs> Uh, if Isaiah isn't a legitimate prophet of the Lord, I don't know who is, right? Well, I'm not going to try to explain everything here. I think we can look at this text, and we just kind of need to embrace the mystery of it. But if there's one thing that the text is teaching very clearly, it's that prayer makes a difference, right? Prayer makes a difference. If Hezekiah had not prayed... I assume that the first word of the Lord that Isaiah brought, that you're not going to recover, would have come true. But Hezekiah did pray. And then Isaiah comes and says, actually, you are going to recover. So, you know, theologians can, and philosophers can speculate about what that means about God and his relationship to time and all that stuff. But ultimately, those questions are all just, you know, us trying to figure out stuff that's really, really hard to figure out. And what we need to take away is the real point of this, which is that prayer is valuable. Prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a difference. So if you're struggling with feeling like prayer doesn't make a difference because God knows what's going to happen and all that, think about a story like this and live with the mystery. Now, I said the second reason that we doubt that our petitionary prayers are going to make a difference is because of experience. And what I mean by that is eventually all of us encounter the harsh reality that what we pray for doesn't always happen. And that realization, it doesn't always hurt real badly. I mean, if we're praying for something like a winning lottery ticket or a new car, it might not you know, be that upsetting. But it can be devastating if we're praying for something that doesn't seem frivolous at all. Like, if we're praying for the survival of a child who's currently in a coma. Or if we're praying for the recovery of a loved one from cancer. Or if we're praying for the healing of a marriage. You know, in the last few years, I can say that I have seen people pray for all three of those things. And I have seen positive answers. And in the last three years, I've seen people pray for all three of those things, and I've seen what seems like those prayers being unanswered, or at least not being answered in the way that the people praying for them would like them to be answered, 
or the way that I wanted to see them answered. And those experiences can really rock our faith. And they can lead us to wonder if prayer is really making any difference at all. They can lead us to think, well, maybe blind chance and probability are just what's in charge here. Well, I cannot prove from science or logic alone that prayer has the power to affect the future. Uh, I've had experiences that suggest it does, but I can't prove it. I don't think anybody can. But scripture tells us over and over again that prayer does have effects. And like with Hezekiah, there are times where unless we pray, unless we ask, we won't receive. I don't think scripture promises us that whatever we ask for, we are guaranteed to receive. But I do think it promises that there are things that will happen that would not have happened if we had not prayed. So I'll say that again. Scripture doesn't promise that whatever we ask for, we are guaranteed to receive. But it does promise that there are things that will happen that would not have happened if we had not prayed. I think one passage that demonstrates this really well is in the book of James. It says in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James is saying really clearly here, there are things that you guys could have, uh, but you don't have because you're not asking God. And there are things that you could have, but you don't have because when you ask, you're actually asking with selfish motives. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to imply that if you're praying for a loved one with a chronic illness and that loved one is not healed, then the reason is because you're asking with wrong motives. I'm not saying that. Sometimes we don't get what we ask for, not because uh, we have wrong motives, but simply because God has other plans. And we can't control God. But James is saying here that sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we're asking either for the wrong reason uh, or just for the wrong thing. Uh, I, when we went through our James series, I, uh, I used an analogy about prayer. And I think it's worth using again. Um, I think that prayer is a little bit like ordering in a restaurant. Uh, and God is like a chef who's prepared a menu with good options for things that you can eat. And life is kind of like you're coming into God's restaurant. And um, if you don't pray, in other words, if you don't order, then you don't get a meal, right? If you go into a restaurant and you never place an order, well, you'll just sit there and you'll never actually eat anything. So there are things available for us to enjoy um, that we won't get to enjoy unless we ask for them. That's prayer. We have to ask. Like James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. However, you can't just ask for anything and expect to get it. Because God has only put certain things on the menu. Uh, if you ask for a meal that's not on his menu, then he's not going to give it to you. Just like if you're at the Olive Garden and you ask for tacos, you're not going to get it. It's not on the menu. It's not one of the options. And so the way I like to put it is this. Prayer can't get you just anything, right? 
But it definitely increases the likelihood that God's will is going to be done in our lives and in the world. You might remember that a couple weeks ago we did the Q&A message. And in that message I talked about how the Bible takes it for granted that there are certain things that happen in the world that are not God's will. That's why we have this word sin. Sin is going against the will of God. But when we pray and when we ask for things that are in God's will, the likelihood that God's will will be done increases. And I don't know why exactly God has set things up that way, but I believe he has. Because God wants us to participate in making this world a better place, making this world a more beautiful place. From the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he said that you guys are made in my image, which means you guys are supposed to partner with me in ruling this world. And he gave Adam and Eve power to do that, power that could either be a blessing to the world or a curse. And we carry some of that power with us. And one of the ways now that we partner with God in the world is by praying. God wants us to to participate in making his will a reality here on earth. Because right now, God's will is not always being done. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That prayer assumes that right now, God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. But he commands us to pray that it will be done because when we pray, the likelihood that God's will is going to be done in our lives and in the world increases. So, regardless of what your your theology is or your experiences have been, I encourage you to recognize that throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, Um, When we look at the life of Jesus himself, over and over again, we are told that prayer has power. It makes a difference. And there are things that will not happen unless we pray. And we don't have to babble on forever. It's not so much about quantity as it is about quality. And if we as a community value prayer, then God can and will work powerfully through that. So, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have created this world such that we, as your children, have the ability to come before you and talk to you and be heard by you. And I thank you, Lord, that you have set things up so that when we pray, when we talk to you, it has power to make a difference. God, I pray that we would, we would believe that, that we would have faith that that is true, that we would we would walk uh, with trust in you and that we would demonstrate that trust by talking to you, by praying, by bringing our requests before you. Um, Lord, I pray that as we pray, you would calm anxiety that we have, that you would bring us peace, that you bring us relief from fear. And God, I pray that we would be blessed to see in, in clear and powerful ways how prayer makes a difference. I pray that you would use it in our own lives, Lord, that would have power to, um, to uh, help us to, to see you for who you are and to ha- find a greater level of peace and freedom from stress. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be blessed to see how it does change things, Lord. Um, we thank you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.